Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. All right, that's a good one. Well, that gets us ready for the new year. That gets us ready for 2023. I hope you're ready because there's apparently a lot we need to do. I don't, I don't really know why that's so funny. It's, it's a little too close for home for some of us. But, but we're going to jump right in and understand how we can get to that place. And a big part of that is this series we're walking through. We started last week. We'll be going for a number of weeks in how do we let God out of the box. Well, first of all, before I even jump into that, I need to apologize. There was some things going, up, going on up here on the stage that weren't really appropriate. And I, I, as a pastor, I just feel it's my responsibility to apologize. Some of the, some of the things the guys were wearing just, just really weren't appropriate for church, especially this church. Amen. This is a dolphin's house. And we had all kind of patriots and bills stuff going on up here. That was certainly not of God. So we're just going to rebuke that real quick and kind of move on with, with the Lord. And the, clearly the Lord's team, sorry, I just had to get that out of the way. Oh, that was, on, that, was on, that was on internet. Well, whatever. We'll get in trouble for that later. Anyway, so we're glad you're here. But anyway, so, so as we jump into this series and as we understand what it looks like to let God out of the box, and no, I didn't get any pushback on that. You're supposed to. Now, Pastor, hold on a second. Everyone knows you can't put God in a box. I mean, by, by very definition, God can't be put in a box because the very moment that you put God in a box, that means, well, he's not God because you can't put the God of the universe who is all present and all powerful and, and, and has lived from before there was time until after there is time. He, you can't fit that into a box. And yet we never stop trying, do we? We all have boxes of our own that we try to squish God into to, to help our minds wrap around him or what he wants to do in or, or even through us. Remember last week we talked about some of those boxes, one of them kind of tied to our own past, our own history, how we've seen God move in the past, either in the Bible or in our own family, or in our own lives, even in our own church family. And, and God, we've kind of restricted God to only work in those ways because anything outside of our reality kind of freaks us out. We're just not comfortable with that. Another box we kind of put God in is, is kind of how we see our reality, what we trust God with, what we're willing to allow God to do in and through us. Risk takers, we are not. And so we say, God, I just... I just don't feel comfortable with that. And because of that, we've created these boxes that we, we put God in so that we feel, well, we feel safer. But folks, is that the kind of God we want? A God who is safe? A God who is predictable? A God who is comfortable? A God who is socially acceptable? A God that is made in your image or, or even worse, in my image? Is that the kind of I want more, and I know you do too. We want a God that is bigger than any box we could ever imagine or try to squish him into. I cannot, as your pastor, I cannot stand by with our church family and watch as God finds another church family who is willing to step out in faith, open the box, and allow God to work in God-sized ways in their lives and in our lives. I don't want to get to the end of my life and, and find written on a wall somewhere the list of blessings I could have had, the opportunities I might have had, the open doors I should have had, 
but out of fear and anxiety and closed-mindedness, a focus on my own reality so much so that I wouldn't allow God to do those things. God is a powerful God. God is an out-of-the-box kind of a God. Let him out of the boxes that you create. Let 2023 be the year that God breaks out, not because he is restricted in any way by what we do. Please hear me say that. And yet, he will not move beyond the faith the belief that we give him, the the freedom that we allow him to use in our lives. Let's this year uh, make a covenant together, church, to allow God to break out of those boxes. So this week, as we did last week, we're going to dig into a story in the Bible, look at some, some, the lives of some folks. Actually, this today happens to be a husband and wife, and, and understand better what kind of boxes they were constructing for God. Because I believe the boxes that they constructed for God to squish into Oftentimes, they're the very same boxes that you and I construct today. All right, you ready? If you, have your, if you have your phone, you can aim it at that little QR code. You can follow along behind me on the screen. We're going to dig into uh, the story of, uh, well, at first, their names were Abram and Sarai, later Abraham and Sarah. We're going to read their story, understand what it looks like. The story takes place over a number of chapters. Unfortunately, we don't have the time. In fact, I encourage you as homework, go ahead and read their entire story. Start around Genesis chapter 12, uh, moving on even past Genesis chapter 17. There's a lot of great pieces to this story. We're going to have to, for time's sake, just pull certain pieces of their story out to understand what their boxes look like because I believe more often than not, they're our boxes first. So, The very first box that we often construct to try to squish God into is this. The box of, it's not supposed to hurt. It's not supposed to hurt. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when we come to Christ, when we become believers, we expect God to fix everything. I mean, that's after all the deal we made with him. I give him our heart. He cleans up my life. It's, it's supposed to be smooth sailing after that. As soon as I become a Christian, that he takes care of all of my problems. He takes away all of my bad desires, my bad habits, the things that I would normally do left to myself or at least my old self. In fact, if it's hard... If it hurts, I must be doing something wrong because clearly God doesn't want me to have pain. Clearly God doesn't want me to be sick. Clearly God doesn't want me to struggle. God wants me to be happy all the time. Well, that bit in the Bible about there will be no sickness and no tears and no pain and no death, that's not yet. That's in heaven. God uses the sickness and the pain and the struggles and those valleys of life God uses those powerfully to mold us into the men and the women that he wants us to be. So so what does this look like? Uh, Turn your Bible, if you would, to to Genesis chapter 12, or you can catch it right there on the screen. In fact, I'm going to to read a little bit ahead. I think on your notes it starts in in verse 4. It does? Yeah. Let me read verses 1, 2, and 3. I just want to add this in, just give you a little backstory, and then you can catch up with me on the screen with verse 4. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, uh, and that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will also curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. All right, now we're going to pick up there with verse number four. 
So Abram went, and the Lord had, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went also with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, the promised land. And they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh and Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites, they were still in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched a tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Read read verse 10. Pay attention. Now there was famine. Now there was famine in that land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Famine in the land? In the promised land? Did you just read the story? Did you just hear what I just read? Maybe you already knew the story. You know the story of Abram and Sarai who become Abraham and Sarah. We'll get to that part in just a moment. In this life, a guy's life like this, there's not supposed to be famine. I mean, look, look at just, just these few verses alone. Abram's 75 years old. I, I bet we have a few 75-year-olds in the house. Imagine you are willing to say yes to God on this incredible journey, this incredible quest, taking you completely out of your comfort zone, and your very first words out of your mouth are, okay, I'll do it. That's the kind of guy he is. Not only that, he, he, he stops along the way. The, the promised land, this, this big promise that God's given him, all that God's going to deliver, the incredible blessings. There at the end of this journey, he doesn't run full steam just trying to get to the blessings. All along the way, he's stopping to build altars and to thank God, and to praise God, and and, and to remind God, as if he needs reminding, how awesome he is, and how incredible his blessings are. He does this not once, he does it twice. And then not only as if that's not enough, he grabs his wife Sarai, and he grabs uh, uh, Lot, the whole family, everything he has. He leaves nothing behind. This isn't isn't like a a vision trip. Honey, you stay home and and kind of take care of things here. I'm going to go check it out. If I think it's safe, if I think it's something we want to be involved in, if I think after checking it out, it's okay, I'll come back and get you and we'll go. No, 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 nothing like that. This 75-year-old guy says, clean everything up. Sell off everything we don't need. Pack everything you think is important. We're leaving and we're never coming back. This is the kind of guy we're talking about. He did everything right. He's demonstrating to God obedience, humility. He's grateful. He is fully committed. That's the deal a lot of us made with God, right? God, I'll serve you. God, I'll give you everything you deserve, everything you've asked for. I'll be obedient. I'll check off all the boxes. But then you got to cover me, what I need and what's important to me on occasion, if not always, even the things I desire. That's the deal we made. It's not supposed to be famine in the land and certainly not famine in the promised land. Have you ever been there? 
You thought you had done everything right. You had checked all the boxes. You showed up for church every, well, almost every week. You, you read your Bible every, well, almost every day. You, you hardly ever cut people off on the road. I mean, you're a good believer. You're a good Christian. Why is God allowing this in your life? Why is God taking that away from your life. That's not how it works. You say it's not supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be easier. If God's in this, if God's leading this, if God truly did open that door of opportunity to me and my family or to me and my church family, then surely it's supposed to be easy. And if there are any, any barriers along the way, if there are any pushback along the way, then that must be a sign from God. We've made a mistake. Quick, run back as fast as you can. Do you remember that story in the New Testament where Jesus, he just done this incredible miracle. It fed 5,000 guys. That was 5,000 guys. There were wives and children. So I don't know, 15, uh, maybe 20,000 folks. Just a humongous miracle God just does. After a big day of ministry, he tells his guys, listen, go ahead and get in the boat. Go to the other side. I'll meet you there. As they're in the boat... Jesus comes to meet them there, walking on the water. And you know the rest of the story. Peter gets all excited, screams up and down, hey, I want to do this. Let me out. Can I come to you? Jesus calls him. We'll get to his story at another time. I want to focus on the rest of the guys in the boat for a second. There are a bunch of guys in the boat. They'd all been there for the big miracle. They'd all listened to all of Jesus' sermons. They all knew that Jesus was faithful, that his, his power was enough for them, not only in the boat, but also outside of the boat. Why didn't they get out? Why did they stay in the boat? Go back to the day before. Maybe 15,000, 20,000 folks. Yes, Jesus did the miracle. He did the heavy lifting, but someone had to hand that food out. And then after the big party was over and they're doing uh, hand, uh, handstands and, and back springs just because of the excitement of the miracle of the day, Jesus said, okay, go ahead and collect everything that's left over. I want it in Ziploc bags and put it in the freezer. We're going to use it next time. Well, not exactly like that, but he said, collect it all back up. So after the miracle, he says, hey, there's more work for you. And after all of that work, he says, go ahead and get in the boat. I want you to go straight away to the other side. There was no grumbling. There was no mumbling. There was no complaining. They did everything they were supposed to do. And not only that, they were following Jesus' will to the letter. What does the Bible say? The entire trip to the other side of the lake, there was a great wind against them. Hold on, Pastor. That's, that's not what we expect. But they've done everything they're supposed to do. They serve like they're like crazy. They're exhausted only from serving. They're following Jesus' will to the T, getting in the boat, going to the other side of the lake. You mean the, the wind, the heavy wind was behind them, right, Pastor? No, just the opposite. The wind was against them. Too often when we feel that wind against us, we, 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 we throw our hands in the air, we, we shake our fist at God, we, we turn around and we go back. Because here's the deal. If the wind is against you, heading towards his will, if you turn around, guess what? The wind is with you. It just pushes you further and further and further from his will if you let it. It's not supposed to hurt, Lord. It's not supposed to hurt. The second box we create is the box of, you ready? Good enough is good enough. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? We, we sometimes create this idea in our mind that, you know, close enough is, is good enough. Let, let, me, let me read the text. It's, again, out of Genesis, again from this story. Uh, it's about Abram and Sarah, uh, supposing to be the father of nation, up to this point, 75 years old and even older, haven't had any kids at all, not even one. There's no evidence, humanly speaking, that they are now going to have kids and be fruitful for the Lord, and yet... 
God has promised that. They're waiting a long time. Look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. You've heard of her. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan, how long? Ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with her, and she conceived. Voila. All taken care of. Don't worry, Lord. We know you're busy up there. It's been ten years. Obviously, you got a lot on your plate. We got it covered. It's done. No worries. We've said that to God before. We've tried to help God. We've tried to hurry God along. It's not important how we get there. As long as we get there, we say. This isn't like, you know, seventh grade algebra. We don't have to show our work. Just we, all we have to do is show the results, right? That's, that's all that God cares about is that at the end of the day, we get where we're supposed to get. Isn't good enough good enough? Isn't second best as good as first best? I know that God's ways are not my ways. God's thoughts are my, not my thoughts. They're different, not worse, just different, Lord. So I'm doing it my way. I'm helping you out. I'm meeting you halfway. Let me get it at least this far. You can take it the rest of the way. We have so many stories. We try to sell God and he ain't buying any of it. Good enough is not good enough. And I don't even blame these who don't get all judgy with Sarai and, and Abram. The Bible says they had waited 10 long years. And not just 10 years, they were already in the promised land. They had already seen the promised land and still they're waiting 10 years. wonder how many, how many blessings, how many open doors... How many opportunities you and I have missed because after waiting 10 long years or 10 long months or 10 long minutes, we've gone with option B, with second best, schools, jobs, career path, spouse. And God has the best for us. You remember we've said it before. The enemy of the best is not the worst. The enemy of the best is the good. God has not called us for second best. God wants us to go all the way and not just go for second or third or fourth best because we think we have waited long enough. The problem is not that we cannot see, that we cannot hear, that we cannot understand the will of God. The problem is on the inside. We are prone to our ways and our thoughts. We are, we are naturally bent towards our own ways and our own thoughts. We are left to ourselves. We will always do it our way. Our default mode is do things as we want to do them. So we need to ask God not to change our ways and not even to change our thoughts. That's, that's behavioral modification. That won't last for long anyways. We need to ask God to change our wanter, that which we want, if God can reach in and change at the very root level that which we want, it will change everything that God would change so that we do not want the known, the thing that we already know, that we would not want the comfortable, we would not want the easy, we would not want the quick, we would not want the painless above all. 
That God would change our want and that we would want the best no matter the cost, no matter the time frame, no matter what it changes in us, but we would always want God's best. There's another box that we try to squeeze God into. It's a box of I am who I am. I am who I am, or even what I am. I am who I am. I'm just born this way. I'm wired this way, Pastor. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, Pastor. I'm naturally introverted, or I'm I'm naturally skeptical. I'm I'm naturally fearful. I'm naturally rational, a logical thinker. I'm naturally not emotional. When I see those stories of men and women in the Bible that God uses supernaturally, they do things that are out of this world, incredible. I think that is fantastic for them. But that is not me. I could never do that. that I, I, I'm not wired that way. I'm not that kind of a person. God does those kind of things through other people and not through me. Let me read Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Let's see how Abram and Sarai struggled with that very same box. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99, let let that sink in for one second. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I mean, he just didn't stop at fruitful. He went right to very fruitful. Uh, uh, I will make you nation, uh, nation come from you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. You will be, uh, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This is an incredible promise. These are incredible truths that God is speaking over him. And if he's anything like you, if he's anything like me, he's thinking, not in a million years could I do what you've just described. Not in a million years could I be what you've just spoken over me. Uh, we, I'm going to pick on, on Mr. Al. Mr. Al is a fantastic man of God. His awesome wife, Lori, they're right here in, in service. You've seen his handiwork many times, um, the letters up here and uh, much of the Christmas decorations that were sold during the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. He works incredible things with his hands. Not only that, did I mention he's 92 years old? He and Lori wake up every morning very early, very early. Lori to go out on the lanai to work all of her exercise machines. Al goes out in the garage and he cranks up all of his woodworking tools at like 4 a.m. Yeah, his neighbors love him. And so he's out there. Yeah. Yeah, he's out there working. He's still got all of his fingers. He's out there working. An incredible, but he's 92 years old. So when I think of Abram at 99, he's, he's, he's Mr. Al plus like six, seven more years. So the Bible says... Abram fell on his face, face down. I, if Mr. Al were to do that, 
we wouldn't be thinking, oh, it's prayer time. He's, he's coming before the Lord. He's, he's poor. We'd be thinking uh, medical emergency, call 911. But this is exactly the kind of posture that we are to have, whether we're, whether we're nine years old or 99 years old, before a holy God. And this is what Abram does. He falls face down before God, and God begins speaking truth over his life that would radically change his life, Sarai's life, and their, the, the life of the people of God for centuries up to this day. God begins speaking truth over him, things that are not yet there. First of all, he says, Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. About 15 verses later, he does the same thing with Sarai to Sarah. What is that about? Well, well, the the name in the Old Testament days, that would have been their identity, right? So Abram meant... um, uh, kind of like exalted or, or respected father. Like, like, like the people closest to him would have respected him. He would have been an honorable man. He changed to Abraham, which means the father, same word, but the father of multitudes or the father of nations. He is broadening his influence. Same with Sarai. Sarai means, oh, it's like a, a cutesy name for princess, my little princess. Sarah means the princess, the commander. He is broadening her. Not only, not only is, he, is he sweet and special to one man, but now is she is to be the mother, like uh, Abraham is to be the father to nations. He is broadening their influence. Second of all, he calls him fruitful. Nothing could be further than the truth. I mean, he's a great man, a great leader, a great husband, a, a follower of the, of the God, of the universe. All of those things are true, but fruitful, that is not true. That is simply not true. I mean, if God wants to create a nation, if God's looking for a father of nations, a fruitful guy, there are plenty of men in his day that would have fit the bill. There would have been large families, families with a bunch of kids. I mean, probably back then there were homeschooling families. There were all kinds of families with lots of kids. It just wasn't him. No one called Abraham fruitful until God did. Quit listening to what everyone else says about you. Quit listening to what you say about you. Listen to what God speaks over your life. And then he says at the very end, now you are a foreigner. You don't belong here. You're an outsider. In today's language, we would say you're an immigrant. Go back where you came from. God doesn't say any of those things. He says, here where I've brought you, as an immigrant, as an outsider, as a foreigner, not only will I make you an insider, not only will I make you one of those around you, you're going to own the very land you're standing on. This is our God. This is the truth that he speaks over Abram's life. This is the truth that God speaks over our lives. There are no limits to what, God, what, what, what could happen when God speaks truth over our lives. The only limits are what we are willing to believe. If we were to believe, I mean really with our whole hearts, believe everything that God has spoken over us, you are a chosen generation. You are my people. You, I knew you in your mother's womb. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. All the truth that God has spoken over our lives, if we were to truly believe that, we would never live a day of defeat in our lives. We would know daily the victory of the Lord in and through us. We would powerfully share the gospel message of Jesus Christ that changed our lives, the lives of our of our family, with those all around us. We would understand that. 
the, the, the mission board that my wife and I belong to and the Southern Baptist Church supports, it's, it's well over 150 years old. It, it was formed in 1848. At their 100-year anniversary, they had a big gathering and they, they elected a brand new president. For the first time ever, the new president actually came from the mission field. He had been a missionary. Up to that point, for the first 100 years, they had been pastors or denominational leaders, businessmen who really had a heart for missions. But this guy comes in, and he's got a fire. He's got a passion. Dr. Rankin was his name. Much of his time overseas, he had spent in prison camps during the world wars that were happening in the part of the world where he lived. He came back, and he says, men, we must reach the world. We have been dabbling at missions. Their, their mission force was about 500 folks, and they had an annual budget of about $3 million. He says, I believe God is calling us to grow to 1750 triple, and, a, and an annual budget of $10 million. Again, triple. And what did the crowd say? Yes. Just the opposite. Hold on there, brother. I know you're excited with all that mission stuff you do over here, but here at home, we do things differently. There's an order to things. There's a structure to things. There's a process we need to go through. Let's take this one step at a time. And he said to them, brothers and sisters, I cannot stand here and watch as God finds another who is willing to go with him to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, I, as your pastor, I cannot stand here and watch as God finds another church who is willing to go to the othermost reaches of Cape Coral. God has called us to reach our city, to reach our county, to reach our state and our world. We must trust him. What he has spoken over us is what he's called us to do. And then a final box that we, we try to put God into is the box of, it's a box of seeing is believing. It's a hard one, folks. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I get it. It is so difficult, so uncomfortable to, to believe something until we've actually seen it played out or lived out or in some tangible way that I can hold on to and grasp. It is incredibly difficult, and yet it's exactly what God's calling us to do. This story of Abraham and Sarah, it goes all the way into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he, he quotes quite a bit from the Old Testament, but this one story in particular, he's calling Abraham out as a man of faith. This is what he says in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. And against all hope, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him so shall your offspring be. He believed and he became. He believed and he became. Our greatest limitations are not placed on us by God. Our greatest limitations are what we are willing to believe about the truth that God has spoken over our lives. When we look at the life of Abraham, now remember, this is a multi-chapter life. We've only picked small pieces out, but if you were to read the whole story of his life, there's all kinds of things that you could say about Abraham, all kinds of things you could point out. You could, you could call him, well, you could call him a liar for one thing, and the, as he enters Egypt, he lies to the Pharaoh about his wife to kind of not, not protect her, but really protect his own skin. Another time, we could call him an adulterer. He really wasn't supposed to sleep with Hagar. Yeah, there was that, that little 
technical uh, detail that at the very last moment, uh, Sarah said, okay, now you're married. She's officially your wife. So it's kind of a gray area there, but we could call him an adulterer. We can call him the leader of a very dysfunctional family. If you had time to read the whole story, you'd see there was all kind of crazy things going on between him and Sarah, him and his nephew, the nephew's wife. I mean, it was very, there's all kinds of things we could say about him. God doesn't say any of those things. God looks at Abraham because he says, I call you the father of nations. Again, stop listening to what the world says. Stop listening to what you say and listen to what Lord speaks over your life. The problem is we want it backwards. We don't want to uh, believe and then become. We want to become and then believe. We want God to supernaturally magically zap us with holiness to fix us in a, in a moment's notice. At the very latest, at the end of the worship service, the pastor just calls it out and it, it happens. We walk out of here, new people change. The, the old habits, the old ways of doing things, the old ways of thinking have fallen behind us and we're a new creation. We're, we're zapped with holiness. We're zapped with forgiveness. We're zapped with uh, maturity. Uh, maybe even, even zapped with a little bit of wealth and health. Sure, all this happens in the Bible. There are many examples of how Jesus healed in the moment. The exception proves the rule. That is not the norm, but Jesus did do that at times, many times. But as folks matured in their faith, that was less and less necessary. We as mature believers, we don't need that daily miracle of God to remind us that we are loved by God. Those training wheels, those bowling alley gutter guards, they're not necessary after you've lived a decade or two or five with the Lord. God is calling us to trust him. Believing is not primarily about receiving. I don't believe God for a new this or believe God for a new that. We believe God to become, become who God has called us. The Bible says he believed and he became. We here at New Hope, we are becoming. We are becoming fully engaged disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. How? By belonging together, believing in Christ alone and blessing our world. That is what we are doing. That is what we are about. We are not believing to become, to receive something. We are believing to become who God has called us to be. How, how would that work? Listen, there's two ideas I want you to, to do as homework this week. If you're struggling with how in the world, Father, am I supposed to believe something before I actually see it, maybe we need to change something in our prayer life. And here's, here's two ideas. Number one, when you're alone, preferably in prayer, but even just alone in your thoughts, taking a walk early in the morning, late at night, when you're alone and you're able to think, here's what I want you to do. Number one, I would challenge you, I would challenge all of us for 2023 that our focus would move beyond today. Our focus would move beyond, I know, if you're anything like me, the, the, the tyranny of the urgent is screaming at us all day long. All the little fires that need to be squelched, all the little problems that need to be solved, all the screaming loud issues that need to be addressed. But I'm asking you for 2023 with me to look beyond today towards the future. That is the viewpoint of God. God is calling us not to today, even to tomorrow. God is calling us to eternity. What counts? What lasts? What will have eternal significance for you and for those you live in, uh, with or around? And the second challenge I would give you is this. 
watch what you're feeding your mind. Now, obviously, when I say that, our minds go to certain kinds of things. Watch what you're feeding your mind. Yes, it does also mean watch what kind of junk you're taking in, social media, television, whatever else you're looking at. That's part of it. But even bigger than that, even, I believe, more important than that, is watch where you allow your mind to wander. This escapism is, a, is an addiction of the, of the 21st century. We allow our minds to escape to our happy place. Maybe it's not even a bad place. Maybe it's a sport or an activity, a group of friends. Maybe it's a vacation destination. I'm not saying these are bad thoughts. But if we allow our minds to escape and escape, suddenly we're living in our happy place. You cannot live in your happy place. You live where God has placed you. We go to our happy place for a retreat, yes, but we come back to reality. God is calling us to do just that. Folks, there are so many boxes that we put God in. We try to put God in. Maybe these are your boxes. Some of these are my boxes. Maybe that's where it came from. Surely it was Abram and Sarai's boxes. Let God out of the box in 2023. What if in this year we saw God do things that only God could do? What if in this year, 2023, we saw God do things that have never before been seen in Cape Coral because a group of believers, a family of God said, this year we are opening the top of the box and God is an out-of-the-box kind of God and we're going to let him do things that none of us have ever before seen in our lives because we trust what he has spoken over us. Are you with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and examples like Abraham and Sarah, not, not perfect folks, really, really, really good folks that loved you a lot. But through their uh, mistakes and through the things they did well, we're learning here thousands of years later about ourselves. So God, I pray that you would allow us to, to live out the things that we're learning about you, allow us to live out the things that we're learning about ourselves to turn off the noise, to turn off what others are saying about us, to turn off what we're saying about ourselves, and only listen to your voice, the truth that you are speaking over us, trusting you to move in us in the same powerful ways that you moved through Abraham and Sarah thousands of years ago. Jesus, we trust you for that. We believe you for that. We're expecting you to do that through us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.